This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, uh, another week of college football, but we've got some good things to talk about with Matt Baker, our college football writer of the Tampa Bay Times. And we're going to be talking coaching. We're going to be talking about the coaches in the state of Florida, some of those that you know very well, and very few of which uh, should feel good about the years they're having. Um, a down year for the big schools and, and even some uh, not-so-big schools here in the state. So, Matt, you've written about uh, a lot of these situations. I'm going to jump right in with it uh, in no particular order, but starting with the ones in Gainesville that has all the attention, and rightfully so, the Florida Gators, who are off this week. They play Georgia. Georgia is the number one team in the country could they beat them? Sure. Are we expecting them to? Not necessarily. If they don't, then Dan Mullen could be 4-4. Four and four. I don't know that they're calling for Dan Mullen's job. Certainly you're not. But by the same token, there are a number of issues that uh, would leave Mullen and people uh, who evaluate him to wonder if he's the right guy at this point. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And thanks for having me on, Rick. It's, uh, I'm not calling for his head. I'm, I, I'm not... I'm not going on, on that road. That's that's the the one bridge that I think you and I and our jobs don't cross. Correct. Um, but but it, I think it is our job to lay out cases for why this this would happen, and at some point, it, it you know timing and that sort of thing. So as I look at as I look at Mullen, if you would have told me a month ago that he'd be that we'd be even thinking about hot seat, I, I would not have expected it. But but things have taken a major turn. You know, losing to Kentucky, uh, you know, twice in four years—that's that's not good. It says more about Kentucky than it does about Florida, but still, that's that's been a point of pride for Florida for a number of years, and they won thirty in a row or whatever it was. So to lose twice in four years is bad. Losing to a rival in LSU is never good. Losing to an LSU team that has it seems like half their guys out with injuries, and oh by the way, we're in the process of getting rid of their coach while you were playing them, that's bad. Um, you know, I, I would have been told that there's, if he loses to LSU, kind of watch out. Um, again, I'm not expecting him to get fired. Uh, I'm really not. But if you look at the case against him, um, you, you look at the fact that he's uh, two and six in his last eight games against power five opponents, and he's four and six in his last 10 games overall. Uh, Jim McElwain and, and uh, Will Muschamp were both four and six in their last 10 games when, when their mm. exits were in, in the works, by the way. Um, you look at the way things are going with recruiting. You know, as we record this on Wednesday, uh, Gators lost their, their top recruit, a, a four-star, who was number 70 uh, player in the country, a linebacker out of Alabama, who had been committed for, for several months. You know, as, again, as we record this, the, the Gators recruiting class is 18th in the country. And either sixth or eighth in the SEC, depending on what you do with Texas and Oklahoma, that's that's not good enough. Um, Mullen's recruiting issues, you know, that's been that's been a thing. It's not like it came out of nowhere. That was one of the questions people had about him when he took the Florida job: is can you get the dudes necessary to hang with Georgia and Alabama and those guys regularly? And so far, the answer has been no. You know, he's he's had some talent. They're, they're not a bunch of slouches in, in Gainesville, but 
Is it good enough to win a national title? The answer right now would suggest no. The, the, the other side of this, as we, as we look at Mullen, though, is I, I go back to this. Who are you going to bring in? Who are you going to bring in that you know is better? There's a handful of coaches in the country that, yeah, I think that guy's better than Mullen. Uh, you know, but Dabo is not taking the job. Nick Saban is not taking the job. So then once you get rid of ty- you know, those types of guys and start going down the pecking order, you're running into a risk. Um, you would be, you know, maybe like Mario Cristobal at Oregon. He's a, he's a Miami native. Maybe he would be interested in the job, but I wouldn't bet on it necessarily. Um, then, then you're looking at like a Billy Napier at Louisiana Lafayette, who's done great things, is going to be a very good SEC coach at some point, maybe sooner rather than later, but he's never coached, been a head coach at the level like Florida. Can he do it? Maybe, but I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be better than eight and four, like like Mullen's probably going to be this year. Um, you, again, you start thinking about coordinators. You start thinking about just who else would fit. Maybe James Franklin would fit, but I, I, again, is he going to do better? Maybe, maybe not. Lane Kiffin's not going to be the right fit. Bob Stoops is not walking through that door. Urban Meyer is not walking through that door. So as you go on and on, like who are you going to get that you know is going to be no with some degree of certainty is going to be better than Dan and. I don't think there's a lot of viable candidates. So I guess the, the, the long and short of it is this. as I, I expect them to lose to, to Georgia uh, in the cocktail party in Jacksonville. We'll talk more about that next week. Assuming that happens and Florida goes out and does what they're supposed to do the rest of the way, eight and four, that's not good. And it's not good enough at Florida. But I don't think it's a hot seat situation. I think we would be talking about Dan going being on the hot seat going into the, the 20 uh 22 season. Now, if Florida were to lose to Florida State, which suddenly looks a lot better, or to lose to a bad South Carolina team with a new coach, or to a mediocre Missouri team or something like that, then maybe the tone changes. But again, as we sit here today, I think he's safe, but things are a lot dicier, and he's in a lot more trouble, I guess I should say, than I would have thought a month ago. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on all those points. And, and and I also would just say, and you've raised these as well, and, and when you evaluate a coach, first of all, I always in, – in what what you said about who's available, I, I don't disagree with because, you know, it is the University of Florida, though. But I always thought that, look, that's never a reason to not fire a coach. Who would we get, right? Like, well, the job isn't open, so you don't know who you would get, you know, it, and and your job is to find the next – you know, great coach for the University of Florida, whether they're at a top program and you can get them to move or not. So let's just table that for a second because they, they are always going to think we are the University of Florida. Look what we have to offer. Who wouldn't want to coach here? Granted. Um, that said, you know, there were some things that Mullen did or didn't do, and, and you've raised these. I think they're legit. Um, the quarterback situation. Um, you know, he wanted to go with Emory Jones. Made sense at the time. Played really well against in a close game against Alabama, but Anthony Richardson is a talent. I know he was hurt at some point. Yes, he threw a couple interceptions as well in the last game, but but that's been that's been scrutinized and should be right. I mean, that's part of of the evaluation. And the other thing is, he had a chance to 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 change his defensive coordinator. They gave up forty nine points to LSU, and I'm sorry, but it's just, it was a historically bad defense last year, and this year, if I score forty two, I should win. So that's on Mullen as well, is it not? It is. Let's let's go back to the to who you're going to get just just really fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear what you're saying. 
Um, I, I definitely hear that. And, you know, every school thinks that their job is great and everything. But let's remember what's happened at Florida. Mullen mm-hmm. was not their first choice. He was probably not their second choice. I mean, in terms of the guys that they looked at. Chip sure. Kelly was the one they eyed early, and he he didn't want it. He wanted UCLA, which was a better fit for him. And yeah, I, I get it. It made, it made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott Frost was somebody that they were very interested in. And he went in Nebraska, which, again, that's a Makes perfect sense. fit for him. Yeah. It, it made sense. We can, you know, Frost has not worked out. Chip Kelly, uh, maybe, maybe not. So it, it's when you're hiring a coach nowadays, it's not a slam dunk, even if you're a huge name. Just because yeah. the coaches at mid-majors and smaller Power 5 schools make so much money. I mean, shoot, the David Shaw at Stanford, according to USA Today's database, had, I think, the second or third highest salary in the country last year. Wow. Now, there were, some, there were some weird wrinkles to that. But still, Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern is making $5 million or whatever. It's maybe more than that. So it's not the way it used to be where a big school calls – yeah, I, I'm going to listen because I can make bank somewhere else right now with without the pressure of if I, you know, shoot, we're talking about Mullen on the hot seat, even in, in the abstract yeah. after he went to three straight New Year's six bowls. Right, right. So th- that's just kind of where things are in the coaching. Now, uh, back to, to your other point. Yeah, one of the prob- one of the reasons Dan is in this situation is like every fan thinks they can coach football. and They know what they're talking about. The problem here is that the two biggest issues I would say on Saturday was, was you know looked like they were playing the wrong quarterback. We've talked about that. We've seen that. You know, my mom can probably tell you who, who if she watched the game who she thought was a better quarterback. And it's not the guy they started. And and, and the defense this this defense was not very good. Who's the guy leading the defense? Mm-hmm. Both of those are not. We're not second guessing at this point. We were first guessing it. Yes. I mean, yes. shoot. After after Richardson blew up for you know ran for 160 yards against FAU, I think the first question to Mullen in the press conference was something along the lines of, "Why did you start Emory?" Mm-hmm. And, and you know you you could you gave Dan and certainly I gave Dan the benefit of the doubt early on. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because he he knows what he's doing. Yeah, Anthony Richardson looked great against FAU and USF. Whoop de doo. That doesn't mean he can do it against Tennessee and, and Georgia or whoever. Uh, but he just did it against LSU. And, okay, that's, that kind of shows you maybe they were playing the wrong guy. And then you, you look on defense. They were, like as you said, historically bad. Literally one of the worst defenses. I think the worst defense at the University of Florida since World War II. And there were people clamoring for Todd Grantham to lose his job last year. He did not. The Gators chose to uh, change assistance in the secondary, thinking that would change things. I mean, the defense is better, so so maybe it has. Um, but then you look on Saturday, and they give up the most rushing yards in a regular season game since Georgia Southern in 2013. Guy who, you know, a, a good running back at LSU who didn't mu- do much all year suddenly breaks out and uh, <laughs> breaks a record held by Leonard freaking Fournette, playoff Lenny himself. <laughs> yeah. Lombardi Lenny, excuse me. Right, um, right. Yeah, something something's amiss, um, and I think if, if we if if I look into my crystal ball here, I expect Anthony Richardson to start against Georgia. Um, I asked Dan that directly um, mm-hmm. whether Emory was still the starter during the SEC teleconference on Wednesday. Dan did not answer the question directly. Somebody else mm-hmm. asked him directly, "Is Emory still the starter?" He did not answer directly. Mm-hmm. Given what Dan has said in the past about Emory being the starter. Obviously, Emory is the starter is what he said after week one. Yeah. 
there's a shift in tone. And I, I personally am reading into that. So I would expect Anthony to be the starter. And I would also expect, assuming Mullen is the, uh, I guess either way, um, I would expect Todd Grantham not to be the defensive coordinator next year. I think those are the two obvious changes that are going to happen. One of them this year, one of them at the end of the year. And beyond that, I don't know. We'll have to see. Well, it looks like they're not going to win probably more than eight games. So that would be the second year in a row that they win eight. And I'm also wondering if with Georgia, Georgia, let's let's play this out and say that that Georgia wins this game in a week. Georgia mm-hmm. goes on maybe to win the SEC title and and at minimum plays for a national championship. Hell, they may even win it. Okay, they're the number one team as we sit here. There's still a lot of football left, obviously, including in their own conference. But <clears throat> Does that does that factor at all? Does it matter that Georgia now? It's not just Alabama. It's not the occasional LSU with Joe Burrow, but now Georgia on your border um, has has you know sort of emerged. And oh yeah, Texas A and M has beaten Alabama. So you know you got Texas coming, you got Oklahoma coming. The SEC is not getting easier. So does that factor at all in any of this? Does it matter that Georgia is now um, becoming a national power? I think for fans it does. Um, but I think, I mean, the administration, it's not like Scott Strickland's going to wake up uh, on uh, January 11th or whatever it is if, after Georgia wins the national title. And I, I think that would happen. Say, oh, my. Well, we have to do something this? now. The Bulldogs yeah. are good. Oh, yeah, holy they, cow. They saw that coming. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if if they guard Devontae Smith on second and 26 and in, in, uh, in Mercedes-Benz Stadium in uh, 20, I guess, January 2018, we're, we're having a different conversation now. Right, That's because true. Georgia already yeah. would have one. That's so right. Georgia's been really good. Uh, mm-hmm. It's definitely a concern, I think, for Florida that the gap between those two is—I mean—is just where it is right now. Um, right. So I guess right. as as you kind of compare the two, it's not that Georgia's a superpower. I mean, they have been. It, the issue is that the gap isn't shrinking. Um, right. Right. You know. M- Maybe I'll have a different opinion in a week and a half after the cocktail party Um, because, you know, Mullen, to his credit, was able to scheme around uh, Georgia's talent advantage last year up there. And they they wheel routed him to death and and won and had the biggest win of the Mullen era. Um, So maybe there's a way around that. But, yeah, that's the biggest concern is the talent gap is there. It's been there. And I haven't seen much to make me think that it's going to shrink. And certainly the way the recruiting class is going right now, because, again, Florida lost a four-star guy to, today. Georgia uh, got a commitment from a five-star. Mm. That's where things are. Yeah. Well, certainly a lot of work for Dan Mullen to do. I agree with you. There will be changes at minimum, um, and, and I, I don't necessarily expect or even know whether or not, to be honest with you, he's deserving of, of not continuing, and I would imagine he will. Um, great opportunity for them to, to, to win a big statement game uh, in Jacksonville in a couple of weeks, which – will be a, a great game, regardless of, of the outcome. Right down the road here um, at USF, you've also written about this situation, Coach Jeff Scott in his second year. Um, that was a game on Saturday. Um, I watched it live. It, it was it was gut-wrenching from the standpoint that, you know, they, they had Tulsa. They should have won this football game, and they went for it, and rightfully so, needed one yard to make a first down, run out the clock, didn't get it. Tulsa goes down, scores the touchdown. Um, they wind up losing, and and now they're running out of opportunities because I think after this week's game against Temple Saturday night, 
you're going to be hard-pressed to find a ton of wins. You may be at East Carolina on the road, but that's going to be, I think, a night game as well. Um, not too many victories left. So what's your assessment right now um, of USF, not knowing whether they're able to beat Temple or not on Saturday, and just how critical do you think it might be for a young coach like Jeff Scott who just doesn't have a win over a Division One opponent yet? Yeah, this is, this is this is pivotal. I mean, Jeff said the other day that, we we literally just need a win, and, and I think he's exactly right. It's 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 that obvious and that stupid and that simple. They need a win. Um, yeah. Jeff said this was the most painful loss he's had at USF because I mean they, they had close games last year, but those games I don't want to say smoke and mirrors or fluky or luck or anything like that. But the foundation, you know, Jeff was saying the foundation wasn't there. Where you know I think they lost to to Memphis by like two points. So if they had made a field goal and, and won by a point or whatever the case may be, they still would have had a lot of issues. Yeah, yeah, they would have had a win. That's, that's wonderful. It beats the alternative. But they would have woken up the next morning, holy cow, we still got a lot of issues. And, and now they're at a point where they've got a foundation and they have things in place where they should be competing for wins. And on Saturday against a mediocre to bad Tulsa team, they were in position to win. They did what they should do and, and we're in a position to win and they didn't get it done. And I mean, I think almost it's this simple. Good teams find a way to lose to, to win, right? Bad teams find a way to lose. And that's where USF is. I think Miami's in a, a similar situation where you look yeah. at what's happened with the Canes the last couple of weeks where uh, mm. driving down late against Virginia, instead of go, getting aggressive to, to go for a win, they or go for a touchdown. They settle for a field goal and it doinks. Next week, pretty similar situation against North Carolina. They decide, you know what? We're going to go for the touchdown. We're, we're going to do that. And then a ball gets very oddly deflected at the line, bounces around, and a D lineman picks it off with six seconds left or whatever to lose. It, that's, it's, sometimes it's just that simple. Good teams find a way to win. Bad teams find a way to lose. Right now, USF and Miami are both finding a way to lose. And as, as we look forward with, with Jeff Scott, he needs to show something. He needs a proof of concept. What we're doing is working. Almost beating Tulsa is not good enough. Um, again, I don't know that he's on the hot seat necessarily. I think when when you talk about a coach in his second year, a first time coach in his second year, where year one was a pandemic, the AD Michael Scott or Michael Scott and Michael Kelly is the one who hired him. Michael Scott would be a very different kind of athletic director, by the way. <laughs> yes, he <you> um, would. <laughs> So, um, but Michael Kelly is the guy who hired him. I don't see, I don't see hot seat, but I do see pressure and them needing something positive. They can, they can turn around and start selling to recruits and fans and players. Otherwise things could get really ugly. Cause again, the schedule East Carolina is, is not the, the doormat they've been in the past. It's on the road on a Thursday night. That's a weird one. I, I have a hard time seeing that. Um, Houston, I think is undefeated in the conference. Um, Cincinnati is a potential playoff team at Tulsa or at Tulsa at, uh, Tulane is possible, but that's a tricky one on the road in new Orleans. And then, and then UCF, I, it's hard for me to see right now a win on that schedule if they don't get it done against temple. And you're talking two straight years without a win over an FBS division one, a team. Boy, that's 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 rock bottom, and that's a long way up from there. Uh, even the student section is not showing up at Raymond James Stadium, so forget about 
an on-campus stadium, you need a reason for those kids to go at, at minimum and cheer on for their team on Saturdays. 94 snaps his defense played on Saturday, and that's with uh, and maybe maybe partially due to the fact that they had a defensive touchdown, they had a special teams touchdown. I don't know what the odds are when you score both and don't win, but they're pretty astronomically uh, in your favor to win the game, and they somehow didn't, and it was just – it was hard to watch. It really was. You know, it's funny because we began the season. It looked like Manny Diaz was the guy who had the most solid footing on his job, right? And we were all talking about Mike Norvell. Well, now, you know, Mike Norvell could pick up a win or should pick up a win this weekend against UMass before the Clemson game. And Manny Diaz is really fighting for his job down in Miami. Yeah, Manny is in Manny is in trouble. Um, again, he's a coach that seemed like the right fit. He is a Miami guy. He is as Miami as it gets. Mm -hmm. And he's a good recruiter. He's brought in some good players. um, And it just hasn't worked out. Um, Again, I think he's did everything. As I kind of armchair quarterback his situation, I think he's made a lot of right decisions. You know, you look at his first recruiting class. He came in uh, because Mark Rick left at a late time and Manny, left Temple after a prolific 18 days as head coach. They were behind in recruiting. They weren't going to get dudes. So they went through heavy on the transfer portal. And to some degree, it worked. Um, you know, they, they knew they had issues. They made coaching changes, assistant changes after year one. They brought in Derek King to, to make this offense work. They came with a high-tempo spread offense to take advantage of Miami's athletes. That seemed like a smart move. Um you know, kind of adding in the, the glitz and glamour with, uh, you know, Manny's big thing in the year one was the new Miami trying to make a big scene and the turnover chains and the, the touchdown rings and all this stuff. It all makes sense. I, I can logically understand where it went. It just hasn't worked. Um, and he's in a, you know, he, he's in a rough situation. It's, I don't think Miami wants to fire him necessarily because I don't think they want to eat the money and then go through the coaching search again unless Mario Cristobal wants, wants to listen. But if they don't beat NC State, you're, he's running out of time. Um, I, think, I think at this point it's more likely that they miss a bowl than they make one. And it's hard to see Manny. I don't, I don't want to give up on him yet in terms of him keeping the job, but it's hard to see him being the head coach uh, this time next year. And like you said, Mike Norvell, that the fan base at FSU had soured on and deservedly so after the Jacksonville State loss. Suddenly they've lost or they've won two in a row. They've got UMass on Saturday. The only thing I want to say about that game, other than that, it will be absolutely terrible and Florida State should win by a lot. Uh, the, the, uh, the head coach at UMass is a guy named Walt Bell, who was Willie Taggart's first offensive coordinator. Um, if Walt Bell had not taken the UMass job or been pushed to the UMass job, uh, Florida State probably would have signed uh, the, uh, the quarterback they were had committed in that class, which is a guy named Sam Howell. You, you, oh, you've wow. heard of him. He, uh, oh, he's wow. uh, kicking, you know, doing quite well. Not, not as good as we expected, but he's still doing well at North Carolina. And there's a whole different universe out there where that happens. And, and Willie probably still has a job or might still have his job. So, wow. yeah, it's, it's funny how things changed quickly in college football. But uh, that's where we are. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One thing that is changing, um, and that's conference realignment everywhere. Uh, the AAC, the American Athletic, has received applications now from six schools hoping to join the conference, Florida Atlantic, Charlotte, North Texas, UTSA, Rice, and UAB have all requested to join. Of course, uh, they want to expand because the, you know, the loss of Cincinnati, U- UCF, and Houston um, decided to eventually go to the Big 12. So where what do you think of this uh this expansion and uh, where would this leave the American Athletic Conference? The 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 AAC will still be, you know, one of the top them in the Mountain West will be the two top um group of 5 conferences. I think that's going to be pretty clear. This was the best outcome I think that the AAC could do after Boise and San Diego State and Colorado State um I think Air Force as well said no. So they didn't have a lot of good options. I think the American needed to do something. And if, if you look at those markets, again, Charlotte is a growing area that produces a lot of good players. San Antonio is a lot bigger than you think and produces a lot of good players. Birmingham has a lot of good players. Houston, which is, you know, Rice at Rice at Houston, there's a lot of talent there. FAU, South Florida has a ton of players. And mm-hmm. North Texas, which is in Denton and the, DF, uh, and the DFW area, has a ton of players. Recruiting-wise, it all makes sense. If I'm kind of looking long-term, which it's hard to do that in conference realignment because who the hell knows what's going to happen five years from now. But if you look long-term, Charlotte and UTSA are both programs that I would buy stock in. Uh, they're both very young and markets that can use a program like them, and I could see them doing very well. Um, so I think from that perspective, it, it was good. Now, they're not the hugest names. Um, I don't know how many USF fans are going to get super excited about uh, playing Rice in 2024 or whatever. Um, but I think that was the best they could do. The, the other interesting thing, the other reason I wanted to, to talk about this again, the, those six schools, three of them are, are kind of interesting here. Um, UAB just built a new stadium, uh, in, in downtown about a mile and a half from campus. FAU opened their stadium on campus stadium in 2011. I believe it was North Texas has a very nice, uh, New stadium, about a decade old, right off uh, I-35, uh, 30,000 uh, seat stadium. It's almost, Rick, like facilities matter in conference realignment. If you were, say, a, a program, maybe a younger program too, like like uh, like some of the, like FAU or um, thinking, I, it would be nice if I could move up to a bigger conference. Maybe building facilities and perhaps even a stadium is something that would be uh, interesting in a, in a long-term um, a long-term investment into a program's future as the conference realignment wheels move in the coming years. I think I was follow that, was, you. Was that subtle enough? Yeah, I think I follow you here. I think you're talking about that uh, green and gold school again um, at the University of South Florida. Uh, that that's exactly right. This stuff matters. I mean, yeah. Would 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 those schools have moved up anyway? Maybe, maybe not. Um, 
but I certainly think UAB is more attractive because they have this beautiful new stadium. I certainly think FAU and, and North Texas are more attractive because they have those nice stadiums. And th- that stuff matters, especially as, you know, whenever the Big 12 decides to, to expand again, and I think they will in the next couple of years, that's certainly the expectation in the industry is that they're going to expand again. I mean, shoot, I mentioned um, the, the Mountain West schools of Boise and, and Colorado State's Colorado State, by the way, new stadium. Um, I mentioned them wanting to stay in the Mountain West instead of the AAC. One reason why is because everyone's working under the assumption that the Big 12 is going to be expanding in the next three to five years. So expanding again in the next three to five years. So that stuff all matters. When, you, when, when conference realignment, when those wheels turn, you need to be in the best position possible. Um, you need to be winning certainly to move up to it to a power five level, but you need your house in order and everything else. And yeah, USF, you know, good for them for breaking ground on the indoor, um, that, that football training facility, operation center, whatever they, they, their term for it is. That's something that they need at some point as well. But if they could make serious progress, maybe even break ground again, I'm spitballing here in the next couple of years on that on campus stadium, that's a statement maker that the, the bigger conferences are going to look at hmm. when those, the wheels turn again. And we just saw it at a smaller level with, with half of the schools that the AAC has taken. Very interesting. Uh, good good perspective on on the need for a stadium and, and uh, what that would mean uh, beyond just uh, the comfort of the students and the fans, but, but also attracting uh, maybe a bigger conference. That's interesting. So we got some games that uh, would capture the imagination around the country. Uh, one of them, is your alma mater, Northwestern, is at Michigan. I don't know how good the Harbaugh's are. I think we're about to find out in the next few weeks, but Northwestern, always a tough opponent. So they go into the big house. What do you think about this game? Yeah, I just want to see Michigan kind of continue growing. Uh, you know, They had the, the close game in their last win uh, at Nebraska. I'm still not buying Harbaugh 100% yet or not buying Michigan 100% yet. Northwestern's another opportunity for them to kind of prove it to me. Before, you know, they got Michigan State the next week, or at Michigan State, at Penn State, then Ohio State later in the season. Well, they're in a stretch where it'll be put up or shut up time for, for, the, for the khakis. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of, uh, of, <laughs> of teams that may have been ranked a little too high, uh, what about Purdue going into Iowa? And still my favorite tweet of, of, the, uh, of the year, perhaps, is, is Purdue trolling uh, Iowa and saying we knocked the number two out of Iowa, which in fact they did. <laughs> they were rank, ranked number two. Um, look, I I don't know what to make of the Big Ten when I just saw their best team get knocked around by Purdue. You saw an Iowa team that is very Iowa, maybe even so Iowa that it hurts, <laughs> where they, their their defense and their offensive line are 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 very good. I mean. <laughs> I was debating with somebody the other day whether uh, Linderbaum, the, the Iowa center, should be on my Heisman ballot. And, you know, we're a long way away from me having to decide, but I'm going to give him a look because he's that good. Um, wow. And again, that's just Iowa, Iowa, Iowa. But the other side of it is also true, where you know we don't think about Iowa as having prolific passing games, and that came back to bite him. And, and Iowa had had so much turnover luck. And look, you, you, I know you force turnovers. You can knock the ball out and tip pass and all that stuff. But there's a lot of luck that goes into turnovers. 
And Iowa was just on a ridiculous, unsustainable streak with turnovers. And then, uh, you know, when, when you're not plus four or whatever in turnovers, suddenly it's a lot harder to win. And Purdue, uh, you know, Jeff Brom, give him credit. He's an interesting name on the coaching carousel because yes, they knocked he off, is. They knocked yes, off he Ohio is. State a couple of years ago. Um, people thought he was mm-hmm. the next hot thing. And then Purdue's been down and a win over Iowa helps. Um, so, yeah, an, an interesting program there. I'm, I'm still not buying the boilers yet. My, my mom went to Purdue, so I'm not I'm not I'm not down there. I'm not ready to buy into my mom's alma mater just yet. But uh, they you know, give them credit for, for knocking off Iowa and uh Iowa kind of falling back to earth where they probably should have been for a while. Speaking of one-time hot coaches, Matt Campbell, uh, his Iowa State Cyclones will stay in the state. They're hosting a team that I don't think a lot of people are paying enough attention to, the Oklahoma State Cowboys, 6-0, and now ranked number eighth. What do you think of OSU? Yeah, I don't have a good read on them yet. I, I just don't. Um, yeah. When I think Oklahoma State, you know, I covered that program for a couple years in the Tulsa world. Yeah, it's it's offense. You know, I, I was there with, with Justin Blackman was there uh, as one of the he and Devonte Smith are the two best receivers I've ever seen in person. Um, Brandon Wheaton throwing the ball over the field and, and all that stuff. And, and now there, it's more about Oklahoma State's defense, which I'm still not a hundred percent used to. Um, I want to see. Look, I, Iowa State's a, still at least a good program. You know, they they they, they fell off where they they were to start the season they're not going to live up to the expectations i would not be surprised at all if iowa state ended up finishing nine and three and winning out or something like that um including against oklahoma state so i yeah i, I want to see oklahoma state keep doing it until i start buying in more to, to mike gundy's team yeah let me ask you about uh, your ap poll um obviously you've uh, had to make some changes um i don't know if the gators are in your top 25 at all um, no. Oklahoma has kind of eked its way back. Certainly Alabama looks better all of a sudden. So uh, who do you have at least in your, your, your top top of your bracket there? Yeah, uh, Georgia's a clear one for me. Cincinnati and, and OU are two and three. Yep. Yeah, you could flip-flop them, and I wouldn't push back too hard, but that's, that's that. Um, I've got Bama four, Michigan five. I'm higher than other people on Oregon at six just because I'm still holding that Trump card win over Ohio State over them until Oregon, probably until Oregon loses. Now, I yeah. think Oregon's shaky um, just because they've been so banged up, and I would not be surprised at all if they ended up slipping. But for now, I, I still think they're ahead of Ohio State. As I, as I go down looking at it, Pitt at 17 is one of the most interesting teams in the country. Um, mm. You know, They lost to Western Michigan early in the season. It's like 44-41 or something. I was like, what the heck? You think, oh, well, Pitt, Pitt sucks. That's, they're, they're, they're just not good. N- normal kind of ACC coastal soup. Everybody's 7-5. and five. Um, But they've turned things around. Kenny Pickett is maybe the best quarterback in the country. He, he's in the top five. He's on the list, which is not something I expected. And, and, and they're winning. And, you know, they've got Clemson this week, and Pitt is favored. I, I'm not sure that I'm buying it quite yet, but they, they've, done, they've done quite well. Um, and then I think the other team that I want to give a shout out to in my rankings is the guys that got number 25, UTSA, the Roadrunners. Um, they were giving me crap on Twitter because I called them Texas San Antonio. Um, our, our style is we don't use a lot of the, the acronyms. And I don't think I'm, I don't know how many fans in Tampa or St. Pete 
know what UTSA is, but right, right. Meep, the, the Roadrunners are seven and zero. They've got a, a guy named Jeff Trailer, who's their 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 head coach. He's a longtime Texas high school guy, who is as Texas high school guy as it gets. Mm. And that's what a program like UTSA needs. Where if, if they're going to succeed, it's going to be because they are finding the sleepers in San Antonio and Austin and Dallas and Lubbock and, and Houston and wherever that a lot of the other guys, you know, maybe it's too short to play at Texas or too slow to play at A&M or whatever that, that those type of, I don't, I, I don't mean this in a negative way, but th- those type of misfits that aren't just not quite good enough at that level, but can still be really good college players. Those are the type of guys UTSA needs to find. And obviously if you look at the record seven and zero, that speaks for itself. And, that is set up to be a, I think, a sustainable thing for for the uh, the Roadrunners. Coming off a forty-five to nothing blasting of Rice at home, so uh, a good showing by uh, UT San Antonio, as we as we would call them. All right, well, listen, um, there's a lot of bye games, bye weeks. Uh, we're going to give you a bye weekend, but we're coming back next week and we're going to dive deep into this Florida Georgia, the largest cocktail party. In Jacksonville, you will be there. Um, I'm excited already for this game, so um, we're going to catch our breath a little bit. We'll watch some college football, see if USF can get their win, see if Florida State can continue their winning ways, and uh, get ready for the big game, uh, of course, next Saturday as well. Thanks, Matt. We appreciate it. Sure. Thanks, Rick. All right, so that leaves one big game we haven't addressed. We'll preview it tomorrow. The Bucks hosting the Chicago Bears and another quarterback you should be familiar with, Justin Fields, of course, from Ohio State, will be under center. This will be a good one, um, probably a little closer than you think maybe. There's some, some tough matchups defensively against the Bucks that they'll have to navigate, so we'll dive into that uh, tomorrow and get you ready for Bucks bears on Sunday at 425. Thanks for listening. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.